Take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. A massive snowstorm in New York dulls Wall Street trade overnight. The exchange fund suffers its worst performance in three years and Russia's credit rating is downgraded to junk by Standard and Poor's. Today on Money for Nothing, we'll look at the January effect here in Hong Kong and what it is doing to stocks. That is with uh, Francis Lun, who is the CEO of GEO Securities. We'll also take a look at Hong Kong and China property and examine what is and is not a bubble. We'll be joined by John Saunders, Managing Director and uh, Head of APAC for Black, BlackRock Real Estate. And in our final segment this morning, we'll be joined by Wei Gu, who is the Lifestyle and Luxury Editor at the Wall Street Journal. And she will tell us why El Capital is investing in outlet malls in China. Enzio Von Feil joins us as guest host this morning. Good morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Renita. So were you expecting uh, anything as exciting as a snowstorm? What is it? Wrong latitude, right? Well, it makes the elections in Greek look a little bit hotter, doesn't it? It does indeed. <laughs> okay, a massive snowstorm descending on New York dulled Wall Street trade overnight, as did worries about the victory of the leftist Syriza party in Greece. But U.S. stocks ended a bit higher, helped by some positive quarterly earnings. The Dow rose six points to 17,670. The broader S&P 500 and NASDAQ both added about a third of a percent to close at 2,057 and 4,771 respectively. Shares in Europe earlier climbed about 1%. So Mark Faber is uh, not in favor, apparently, of equities or, you know, the fact that America does seem to be prosperous. Instead, here's where he is looking for safety right now. I think there is, in my opinion, one asset class that is uh, inexpensive. It has actually done reasonably well over the last 12 months, and that is gold. And I think that gold shares have bottomed out between the October-November lows and uh, the recent highs. Some gold shares were up 40%. So this is a sector I like. Unlike other strategists who say uh, the Americas is the only game in town, I would look at some emerging economies. So that's uh, Mark Faber, uh, author of the Doom, Gloom and Boom Report. We like to call him Dr. Doom because uh, that is the consistent thread every time we hear him speak. The new Greek government has been warned that it must live up to its commitments to its creditors. And this came from Germany, the International Monetary Fund and Europe's central bank after the leader of Syriza, Alexis Tsipras, was sworn in as prime minister. Syriza says that the number one objective is for Greece to regain its lost dignity and then it wants to renegotiate the bailout. Here's what Jeffrey's chief market strategist, David Zervos, says. I, I don't think they have a lot of negotiating power. Their big, their big uh, 
you know, their, their big tactic is going to be basically to threaten non-payment on the public sector debt and loans that they have, and that's a, that's a pretty aggressive move. You can see what they want. Uh, they want to renegotiate the MOU. They want a, a memorandum of understanding. They want to move all the debt maturities forward so they don't have anything that they need to uh, repay in the next year, two, or three, or maybe more. And it's a lot to ask. I think the only thing Cyprus probably does bring to the table, which is going to be helpful, is he's not part of the establishment, so he can take on a lot of the forces which, is, which have made tax collection and corruption very, very serious, a very, very serious problem in Greece. So to the extent that they can buy into him as the outsider coming in and regaining revenue collection uh, strategies that have basically failed for 40 or 50 years here in Greece, I think that's the one thing he can maybe throw at it, but it's going to be a really tough negotiation is confrontation on the cards. I mean, what happens if Greece defaults on its debt? Well, I don't think they're going to they're going to stop payment on the private sector stuff that was already PSI. They're going to go after the stuff that wasn't and they're going to look to renegotiate terms on the loans. So I think the private stuff stays pretty clean unless they get forced uh, into a very very dark place and they sort of turn off their abilities to access euros, which is something we wrote about in the note this morning as well. I, I, I think it's, it, is a, it is a storm in Greece. It's not a storm yet for, for the rest of Europe, but it's, it's, it's going to be, I think, one of the toughest political negotiations we've seen in Europe. I, I think there's, there's hardliners that just don't want to see fiscal discipline broken, and there's folks that are sick of it. And it's, it's going to be a very aggressive set of moves, and I don't, I, I don't see how this ends peacefully and calmly with everybody singing Kumbaya, we all love Europe at the end. I think it's going to have a lot of drama. And, and the spillovers could come later with Spain and their election and the far left. But remember, this is the first time the far left or the left in general has sort of taken power in Greece. It's a historic moment here. It's a historic moment for people who have been fighting for, for something different. And I think it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a wake up call to the rest of Europe. But at the end of the day, it's only 3% of the European economy. So, you know, whether it wakes them up that much or not, I'm still not convinced. Enzio, why has the market had such a relatively muted reaction to all of this? Because the European Central Bank has decided to pump 60 billion euros or at least 1.1 trillion euros into the market. And whenever in our economic clock there's such an excess supply of money that's put in, it has to find a home. And thus Europe is going to be the European stock market will be that new home. So political problems or, you know, renegotiating the bailout package, all of these problems are just brought to an end by more money. Not brought to an end, but there's an old psychological saying that you don't want to compound the problem by avoiding the issue. And what this means in simple talk is that the um, money will avoid the issue. This increased supply of money will be avoiding the issue. The problem, of course, being that the European politicians don't want to reform. I see. <laughs> well, closer to home, the exchange fund suffered its worst right. performance in three years last year due to significant losses in its foreign exchange portfolio. The Monetary Authority said that the fund reported an investment income of $43.6 billion last year, down 46% from the year before 2013. The chief executive of the HKMA, Norman Chan, expects uh, 2015 to remain a difficult year. The investment environment in 2015 will be even more complex and difficult than 2014. There is considerable uncertainty arising from the timing and pace of U.S. interest rate normalization, 
which is then complicated by the implementation of QQE by Japan and the launch of a full-scale QE by the ECB. The recent sharp rise in US dollar, big drop in oil prices, and the market turbulence following the surprise move by the SMB to drop the one-way pack of the Swiss francs against euro were just some of the more notable manifestations of market reaction to a very abnormal global financial and macroeconomic environment. So if you're looking at U.S. stocks, uh, U.S. stocks rolled into both this year and last year near at an all-time high, only to stumble from the start of January, putting a broadly optimistic Wall Street on edge. A year ago, the market setback measured almost 6% and lasted until Feb 3rd, at which point stocks' long upward march resumed until late summer. And beginning at the end of last year, December 30th, uh, at this peak, the S&P 500 index retreated by as as much as 4.9% before nearly pulling back even for the year last week. Uh, the volatility index in both years went from a December low near 12 to above 20 in January before settling back into the mid-teens where it now sits. And the market conversation has followed similar themes both years too. Last year began with a talk of the Fed winding down QE only to have the alarming drop in first quarter GDP raise doubts about this and spur a furious rally in Treasury bonds. This year, it's about the Fed lifting short-term rates in the summer, but softer world economic performance, the oil swoon, and of course widespread deflationary concerns have already perhaps pushed the first expected rate hike into later in the year and helped push uh, 10-year Treasury yields below 2%. Equity valuations, they look the same almost today that they did a year ago. The S&P 500 is priced at 19.3 times the past 12 months reported earnings. Same week in uh, 2014, that multiple was 19. So, so much for investors of U.S. stocks. So what about the January effect here in Hong Kong? Let's ask Francis Lun, CEO of GEO Securities. Good morning, Francis. Yeah, good morning. So, Francis, the Hang Seng Index started out early January at the 23,500 level, yeah. rising gradually. It had a few down days, the 6th, the 14th, and 19th. And since then, it's risen to just under 25,000. Yeah. Can you explain the movements? Well, basically, the Hong Kong stock market is following Asia's uh, on the January 19th, that's last Monday. Actually, what, what we had was a mini crash uh, in the Asia's. Uh, Asia's dropped uh, something like 100 points within the uh, time span of something like 15 minutes. And then uh, there was a panic in the market because the uh, CSRC uh, took a uh, discipline Action against the three leading brokers like uh, Sadek and uh, Haitong and Singing Wine Guo, I think. So, but 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 then uh, the important thing is uh, uh, the central bank of China is is doing what other central banks are doing, pumping money into the system. They believe this is the best way to pump up the economy without really doing anything substantial. So uh, uh, instead of pumping like one trillion uh, uh, euros, uh, uh, the uh, People's Bank of China will be pumping something like uh, 50 billion yuan. So it's a much smaller uh, uh, QE action, but still 
it has a very uh, noticeable effect on the market. So the market the rebounded from the from last Monday's low, and uh, I think it's still going strong. And besides, we have a, a lot of these so-called financial reforms. Uh, 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 policy, new policies that benefit the financial industry, especially the life insurance policy, uh, life insurers, the insurance companies. So, so I think uh, uh, the uh, Hong Kong market will soon reach uh, twenty five thousand uh, in February. In February, okay. So that's definitely good news for investors mm. and analysts who were hoping to see more of a rise in Hong Kong stocks relative to Shanghai, given uh, the sharp rally of the Shanghai Composite last year. Any thoughts mm. on this? Well, uh, before the uh, uh, Shanghai Hong Kong Connect, uh, in, ter- in terms of the financial stocks like the banks, insurers, uh, shares uh, actually were actually trading ten to fifteen percent premium. To A shares, but now the condition just reversed. Now A shares, uh, uh, A shares of uh, mainland banks and insurers are trading at twenty percent premium to X shares. So, so the uh, uh, X shares be, be become the laggers. So there's a lot of catch up to do, and Hong Kong stocks are still trading at something like eleven times uh, earnings, but. Uh, uh, Asia's are now trading at 15 times, so there is something like a 30% to 40% gap there in valuation. So uh, I've, I, I think some people will start uh, sw- start switching from Asia's to Asia now. That I think that is uh, part of the reasons driving up uh, that will be driving up Hong Kong stocks. But could we see any pullback given the events in Europe? I mean, specifically <laughs> declines in the euro. Well, uh, it, it already happened. Actually, uh, I think uh, I, I think whatever happened to Greece will have very little effect on the China or Hong Kong stock market, because uh, I think uh, uh, Europe did the did did the stupid thing in bailing out Greece. It's not worth bailing out. Why spend two hundred forty billion euro on the company uh, on the country? Their their GDP is only about two hundred euro two hundred billion. Euro. Euros, so it's it's more than it's uh, 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 it's not worth the trouble. Francis, I like your Chinese attitude toward, towards Greece. <laughs> um, just a question: Do you think that the Chinese financial problems, like these recent bond yeah. things, that that's going to affect the Hong Kong and? China markets. Well, uh, 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 Chinese uh, governments uh, is do, are doing uh, what uh, European politicians are doing. They're trying to sweep the problems under the rug. Everybody's trying to do that. Uh, uh, of course, uh, you have the corporate bond default on the uh, Kaiser. Uh, yeah, Kaiser. Okay, before that, you 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 have a solar energy company, yes. but. but but still, they uh, uh, like like that the Kaiser problem. They are trying to get another mainland developer to buy it, so that uh, they they will somehow solve the default problem. So they're compounding the problem by avoiding the issue, again, <laughs> sweeping <laughs> that, it under the table. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, under the carpet, definitely. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Francis Lun, and he is the CEO of GEO You're Securities. Welcome. The Nikkei is up 179 points to 70. 
19,647. Australia's ASX index up uh, 12 points to 5,480 and Sol's Cosby up 6 points to 1,941. In currencies, 1 euro currently buys you 1.12 US dollars. 1 US dollar is currently trading at 118 yen and the pound sterling is worth 11 Hong Kong dollars and 69 cents. Well, Hong Kong's housing problem has been described as an unending crisis. It may well be at the root of all of the social uh, discontent here in the SAR. The uh, housing policies of the previous two chief executives are rightly considered failures. The question is, can CY Lung play catch-up or is he doomed to fail too? And what is the inherent problem? Let's ask John Saunders, who is the managing director and head of APAC for BlackRock Real Estate. Good morning, John. Good morning to you. So, John, can you bring us up to date on the situation here in Hong Kong? Yeah, look, I, I mean, what's the problem? The problem fundamentally in the very long run is that there isn't enough uh, supply to go around. So we just haven't had enough units constructed um, for a very long time. The problem is the last time we had too many units constructed was, uh, for those of uh, the listeners with a long memory, was uh, just prior to the uh, the, the sort of post-handover uh, uh, currency crisis and uh, and general sort of uh, Asian economic malaise. And the fear that I have is that we're finally playing catch up and starting to talk about releasing, you know, potentially large amounts of new supply, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, as per the, the CE's recent budget speech, there've been clampdowns on stamp duty to try and cool the market. And all of it's happening right at sort of one minute to midnight when I have a nasty feeling the market was about to correct anyway due to the direction of U.S. interest rates and the slowing of China growth. Oh, my goodness. So major, major bad coincidence, mistake on the part of policy. What would you say? Well, as one of the sort of more amusing social commentators in the U.S. sort of said recently, it's deja vu all over again. Um, I mean, the, you know, the... I think the problem is, you know, it's not just Hong Kong, but governments generally tend to be relatively slow to react. I can understand why that that can happen. Um, Excuse me, you need a lot of, uh, you know, consensus, etc. But for years and years and years, or at least since uh, GFC uh, happened, we've basically been importing huge growth from China and paying for it with a zero rate policy from the US. So NZO was talking earlier about you know, unintended consequences of uh, massive monetary easing, we've had the same thing in Hong Kong. We have a peg currency, so we don't control our interest rates, and we had massive growth in China and reduced our rates to zero when our rates should have been going up. And that's the peculiarity of Hong Kong. Unfortunately, it makes it quite dangerous to mess with major policy shifts at a time when those metrics are going the other way. China is demonstrably slowing, and all the talk in the U.S., is about rate rises. Notwithstanding, a lower oil price could stave it off for a little while. But uh, it it looks a little scary, I have to say. So given uh, the fact that China is slowing, are there areas of opportunity here in China? Yes, yes. I mean, definitely. Um, I mean, we think China now potentially is quite a really quite an interesting market. I mean, for years and years, you know, if you go way back to 99, 2000, and again, I'm sort of dating my tenure a little bit in in Asia, but you go all the way back to 99, 2000, there was, for for people involved in real estate, there was a wonderful 
um, sort of purple patch where everybody had land at very, very low cost and anything you could build you could sell and you could make very good profit margins and life was good. Very quickly, though, land prices and real estate prices grew uh, exponentially. And we went through, you know, almost a two decade long uh, run where the only way you could buy something was to assume huge growth, which, of course, if it didn't come through, left you carrying the baby in a, in a, in a not particularly good way. So the repricing that's going on in China as a direct result of the lack of access to credit is actually a very sensible repricing of the market and actually, I think, uh, offers up some great opportunities that haven't been there for years, frankly. And can you outline uh, uh, what some of these opportunities are for investors, value opportunities? Yeah, I think it is value value, uh, value investing. Um, I think you have to have a, a, uh, a somewhat uh, medium-term outlook um, because I don't think we're past the worst yet. But, of course, buying into real estate markets isn't the same as buying into stock markets. You can't come back after lunch and place your order and, and know that you're going to get filled. You know, often um, to buy the best real estate, you actually have to ironically and perversely be buying into a falling market because by the time you reach the bottom of the market most people aren't sellers anymore anyway so you know at the end of the day i think there's opportunities in retail particularly in tier two cities um, i think there's opportunities in commercial and there's some opportunities in resi as well john what about hong kong Where, what's your outlook on the hong kong residential property market um not too optimistic i'm afraid um i mean it could potentially be quite bad the the single binary question you have to answer and i'm not uh, i'm going to duck and not try and answer it myself but at least we framed the question the single question you have to answer is do u.s rates go up before china growth recovers i have a nasty feeling the answer to that question is yes if it is yes then you're looking at 1994, where you had sharply rising U.S. rates with very weak China growth. And then prices came off, and I'm going to shock people now, by around about 18 to 23 percent. Sounds dramatic, sounds grandstanding, but it's all there in the charts, and it's a, it's, it's a matter of historical record. So I think we could be in for a, a nasty, short, sharp shock. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is John Saunders. He's Managing Director and Head of APAC for BlackRock Real Estate. Taylor, Andrew Taylor. It's 8.25 a.m. and continuing along our China property theme, China now has a shopping mall glut, but investors believe that there is still some room to grow. L Capital Asia, the the Asian uh, private equity business backed by LVMH, will announce uh, later this week its second largest investment ever in China and its first investment in an outlet mall anywhere in the world. Uh, We have uh, joining us on the phone Wei Gu, who is the lifestyle and luxury editor at the Wall Street Journal. Good morning, Wei. Good morning, Renita. So, uh, outlet malls in China, uh, that that's an interesting one for a luxury brand. Um, can you tell us more about why L Capital is doing this? Yeah, exactly. So, for years, luxury brands have enjoyed really strong growth from China and prices in China are even higher than they can. They sell the same goods in Europe or in the U.S. But things are changing. As people travel more, they are becoming more price sensitive. 
because it's more transparent how the same things applies outside China, and also the slowing economy and anti-corruption, anti-gifting campaign have also hurt demand. So what you see now is people are becoming more value-minded. So they're looking for quality goods at lower prices. That's why outlet. Uh, luxury brands believe has room to grow. Now, uh, Sassure is the company that is actually developing the outlet mall. And you wrote in uh, your article that uh, he, uh, a quote by their founder, and he says that outlet malls are counter-cyclical. Can you tell our listeners what you mean by that? Yeah, when things are doing well, people would buy full price things, buy the latest uh, trends and the latest season goods. But when things are not doing well, you started looking for bargains. Uh, we see the same thing in the U.S., for example, dollar stores and the Walmarts will be doing well during the recession when people are becoming more price sensitive. But uh, during the good times, it's the full price stores doing well. So, I mean, this is interesting. I mean, what you're talking about is value shopping, bargain shopping, but LK capital, uh, isn't their MO to invest in the luxury sector? And if so, doesn't this bargain mentality go against the concept of luxury shopping? Now, L Capital is an interesting phenomenon. So it's the private equity arm of LVMH, but uh, their mandate is not to invest in luxury. Their mandate is to invest in higher growth uh, consumer sector. And if you look at uh, what they have been investing in, uh, actually, a lot of them are mid-priced goods. They look for smaller, uh, they often look for new brands that have high growth potential, or they look for uh, Priced um, chains, for example, the um, Xiaolongbao and a dim sum chain called Jade from Singapore. So they invest in that. That's absolutely, um, if I don't say mass market, uh, it's quite mid-priced. Enzio, Ju- wait, just a question from a more economic standpoint. Where are the, where's the greatest growth of these outlet malls in China? Is it still Guangdong or is it? Which provinces are kind of the ones where you see the strongest growth, please? Yeah, that's interesting. It's actually all over the places. So people are making bets in different um, places. In Beijing and Shanghai, there seems to be a uh, over start to be an overbuild of outlet malls already. But that's also because the demand is higher. So in Shanghai alone, we're talking about five or four or five um, and more are being built in terms of outlet malls. Sasu uh, they started with second tier city Chongqing, and they are building in places like um, uh, it, it's all second tier cities basically they're not touching Beijing and Shanghai so there are two schools of thoughts about where the strongest growth is going to be I think it's really a balance about um, well the your competition how saturated the market is and how much the local demand is alright Wei thank you so much for joining us this morning that is Wei Gu she is the lifestyle and luxury editor at the Wall Street Journal so quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show, the Nikkei is up 203 points to 17,672. Australia's ASX index and Sol's Cosby both up half a percent each. Uh, Australia is up to 5,494 and cost, the Cosby is up to 1,944. Enzo, parting thoughts for this morning? I think that the European mess may be less of a mess than people think. Having lived in Germany in the 70s, which dates me, uh, I think that the 
Mr. Tsipras, Mr. Tsipras is going to become more the Helmut Schmidt of Greece. In other words, he's going to be the messenger who realizes that he gets nowhere by trying to cut austerity and cut off debts. And so he's going to be the messenger who actually carries through a lot of the reforms much more effectively, being a bit of a lefty than Mr. Samaras ever could. So I'm a little bit more optimistic on this Greek mess because I think that he'll be a good messenger. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Enzio von Feil of Private Capital. And this is Renita Malhotra-Hora wrapping up for Money for Nothing. The weather forecast for today, it'll be mainly cloudy with mist patches in the morning. The the temperature right now is 18 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 87%. Time for the news summary with Sam Butler. IT sector lawmaker Charles Mock says the government has already given ATV a de facto extension of its free TV license, which is due to expire in November. The troubled broadcaster is facing legal action from dozens of staff over unpaid wages. Critics accuse the government of showing favoritism towards ATV by allowing it time to resolve its finances instead of revoking its license. Speaking to RTHK this morning, Mr Mock says the government was supposed to make a decision on its license last November. They told us over a year ago that the decision about the extension of the licenses would be announced in November last year. And now we're going.